Thanks for listening to this OCRFM podcast. Head to ocrfm.org.au to find more great content and information about how to donate and support this community radio station. Good morning and welcome to Community Connect with Edwina and Greg McHenry on OCRFM 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast. We were also streaming live at all the wsocrfm.org.au. And because of this COVID, uh, we're doing our acknowledgement to the Wadawurrung people. We were the traditional owners of the land we're actually recording on today. And we pay our respects to their elders, both past and present, and also to any First Nations people who may be listening. G'day, Eddie. Hi, Greg. It's been a bit of a while since we've done this, and uh, we're just starting to get back on our feet, I guess. After, well, whatever, we'll, we'll cover some of that at some stage. But today we're going to be talking with Monique Patterson and uh, Paul Levy. And Monique is the author of a book called The Boy in the Presbytery. And as the front page of it says, it's basically a story about Paul and his brave battle to end the silence. Now, because of the nature of the program, which is related to sexual abuse and various other things, the book itself does have trigger warning at the beginning of it. So I'll read that basically out as to what it says, but where it says book, it'll be programmed. But the program will contain, may contain graphic descriptions of sexual abuse. It may not be suitable for all read or listeners, and it has the potential to affect survivors of sexual abuse. If the material that you hear in this program affects you in any way, we will be putting up and talking about some of the phone numbers you can get onto for support. So with that, I think what we should do now, Edwina, is say hello to Monique. Who we're just meeting. Hello, Monique. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, pretty chilly morning in Warrnambool, though. Uh, yeah, well, it's winter, so stop whinging. <laughs> As we, we like to whinge about the weather, don't we? Too well, hot, we too cold. So, yeah, right. Uh, but there's no such <laughs> thing as global warming, so we better not talk politics. <laughs> True. Um, but Monique, you've you've had quite a, um, a, a bit to do with Paul Levy, who um is he's not necessarily the subject of the book though is it there's a lot about the book that well it's to stop the silence and that's what the aim of Paul is in the book but it's about a lot of different things and we'll we'll touch on those Uh, you've met Paul through the book or had you met him previously Um, we hadn't met until the launch of the book which was in Ballarat on Friday night um we'd spoken on the phone many times uh, through my role as a journalist for The Standard in Warrnambool. And so having got to know him a little bit, you've then got to know a lot more about him. So we will ask you how you are about it as well as a late, at a later time, because yeah. I dare say you've, you've not been subjected to, but you've also uh, learned a lot about the horrible underbelly yeah. of what's going on with sexual abuse within our community. Sadly, yes. Yes, so I hope you're well about it and um, you've got someone to look after you. So we go and say hello to you now, Paul. How are you, mate? Good yourselves. All right. Well, we've met on a number of occasions um, and we both advocate what you've been doing in terms of no more silence. Yeah, I think we met through Loud Fence, yeah. Sure did. And that's that's an international organisation now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, which is fantastic. And we've hung ribbons in the various places with you too, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, we've hung ribbons in Sunbury and um, 
at Salesian College there. We've I've hung ribbons in Rome at the Vatican. I've hung ribbons in Abu Dhabi. I've hung ribbons in uh, Thailand. Yeah. So have you done any in Geelong? We've done one in Geelong. I think I did one in Geelong, but mm-hmm. I've, yeah, I've quite a few in Melbourne and around Melbourne. So what? tell us what it's all about. Well, Loud Fence was started to um, give the people in Ballarat a bit of a voice to show that they um, supported survivors. And Ballarat being a really strong Catholic country town it was um was all pretty quiet so it gave people the opportunity to go and tie a ribbon in the middle of the night if they needed to to a fence um and the fences around Ballarat just grew enormously in colored ribbons just the whole front fence of catholic institutions all around Ballarat and then it sort of moved on from Ballarat to people's letterboxes all around the world and all that. And then people travelling started to take ribbons with them and tie ribbons in different places, Catholic institutions around the world. So, and it was started by Maureen Hatcher or Moores, and it just grew and continues to grow. Mm-hmm. Can I just hear, uh, in Geelong, we've also had the Anglican Church, we've used we've used the same method with ribbons there, because it's not just the Catholics, but it's primarily Catholic institutions. No, it started off as Catholic institutions, and, um, you know, it, it's gone on to, like you said, in Geelong, the Anglicans, um, Ballarat, I there was a, was it the Fire Brigade, the CFA or something, they did one? Yeah. You know? uh, so, yeah, it's it's not just to, you know, the Catholic institutions. That's how it started. But, yeah, it grew, grew from there. It grew with the Royal Commission too, but, you know, I think. It's like um, people didn't know how many institutions were involved and the Royal Commission, um, as it grew, Brought people out with ribbons, so in other in other institutions. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you something, Paul. Why did you want to write a book about your story? Um, like Monique said, I've done a lot of interviews over the years with Monique, journalist, TV programs, Studio 10 on Channel 10, the morning show, um, the project, we, we did stories there. And they sort of, um, how could you say it, they sort of skipped over the, the abuse. It was always just known as, you know, I was abused by a Catholic priest. And um, the story sort of needed to be a bit deeper than that, I, I believe, you know, and... Um, so, yeah, doing stories, small stories with Monique along the way, we you know, suggested that we do a book together, um, The Boy and the Presbytery. And um, the, the whole idea behind every time you come out of or come out on TV or radio or any sort of media, 
we always get uh, a bit of an increase in phone calls, either to myself or to Casa, um, with people wanting to tell their story for the first time. So writing a book, uh, I hope that, you know, it brings out people's voice, other people's voice, and, you know, it, it helps them. And hopefully, you know, I, I know already from from people who have read the book, I've already been contacted by three or four people that I've now put onto Casa. So the book, to me, has done its job already four times, you know, like it's, I'm sure it's done it a lot more, you know. Why, why do you think it's important that people do come out, Paul? Why do you think they need to talk? Well, it helps within the community. Some people um, have been silenced by the Catholics and, you know, their Catholic upbringing, their Catholic parents and things like that. Um, not everybody needs to write a book about it, but I, I believe most people need some sort of mental health um, help, you know, um, and that's what it is. It's, it's not, not to get people to come out and write books or put stuff on Facebook or anything like that. It's, it's to give somebody that little bit of a voice to ask for help, you know, whether it be their partner or whether it be Casa or whether it be me, you know, so that's, that's why it's important. I found by reading your book and you're putting your book out, not only are people ringing you, but they're actually going to be able to have a support family. They're going to be in touch with people that understand the journey. Yeah, that's that's true. And it's um, important that people feel like they've got that um, support around them. You know, they... They might have family at home. They might be living on their own, you know. Um, a lot of survivors go through broken marriages, things like that, um, or don't get married, um, you know, alcohol dependency, all that sort of stuff as, as, well, as well as the sexual abuse, you know what I mean? It's, it's not just help for that. It's help for other things or what you're using it coping mechanism, whether it be alcohol, drugs or things like that. And if they if they do see someone talk about it, I believe that it does help them, you know. Well, I think in terms of dollar terms, and that's for our society, for people to have their hand put out and their up and their healing, it's a lot cheaper to be healing than it is to be out there creating mayhem in terms of the um, alcohol and other drug abuse, family violence. And the rest of that, you're nodding in that regard. Is that um, in that regard, Monique? You're reporting with the Warrnambool standard. You mm -hmm. obviously it's a specialist type area that you're reporting in. How how is the impact do you see from your reporting? How is that impact on the community locally with your readers? Uh, well, I think that first and foremost, and this is another reason that. Um, I was more than willing to share Paul's story is that um, it just shows the extent of what went on, particularly in the Catholic Church, 
I don't think anyone has any understanding of how widespread it was, how how many priests were moved on from you know parish to parish, and um, you know the the cover the cover ups. Um, I guess my reporting, I hope that it shows the community that it wasn't just one or two pedophile priests that were basically given a haven within the walls of the Catholic Church. It was um, much more widespread. And um, even when I did the research for the book, I was brought up Catholic. I went to a Catholic primary school. I had a bit of an idea, but I was absolutely shocked. And if I was shocked, and I'm already a journalist that reports on it, then imagine other people who have no knowledge about it at all. So I think that it's important that people know exactly what happened, how many countless innocent children's lives were, you know, um, oh, just irreversibly, um, you know, affected by these pedophile priests. People need to know how widespread it was so that it can never happen again. One of the things that is talked about in the book, and here we are today, we're going to mention Ridsdale. I find it hard to say the name because it's almost a four-letter word. Yep. We're able to use his name Ridsdale, and we're allowed to associate Paul Levy with that name uh, yep. as, a, as a victim of this bastard. Um, yep. Yet you need, to, you need to conceal because of the restraints now in being able to have victims being noted or you, uh, names being used or victims being able to speak out against their, 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 their whatever you call those people, pedophiles. Perpetrators. The perpetrators. Yeah, well, I have, I have a court order. Um, so I can, my name can be mentioned that, you know, with my permission. Um, yeah, we went. Nina Fennell, um, she started, oh, what is it, Monique? Um, Let Us Speak. Yeah, and she got us to, um, she got a, a GoFundMe page and raised money to get us through court to get our name so we could tell our story once again because it was like we are being and told our story so many times and then all of a sudden, the law changed, and they go, "No, you can't say it now." You know, it was crazy what they what they did. So they're um, in the process of changing that back now. It's as if they're putting the wrong person into silence, into jail. Yeah, you're silenced again. You know. Yep. It is, um, as Paul said, it's being reversed, but there's still going to be a condition which means that um, survivors or victims who have passed away, they can't be named in the media, even with their family's permission. So some uh, victims of murder, even, you know, high-profile cases, their family can't in the media speak out about their family member and for that family member to be named, which is... And not, you know, a slap in the face for these families. We've got a, one of our friends here, and I think Paul has met him and uh, knows Chris Piando pretty well. So uh, yeah. Chris Piando is quite happy to mention Alan Swingler, who is his perpetrator. And here's a story for you, Monique, and it's a fact. 
when Chris was talking to me on air in a different on a different radio station, he made mention about how he'd gone back to the school, St Joseph's College here in Geelong, where he'd been abused, and it was part of his journey of healing to revisit some of the sites so as he was able to you know conceptualize or put put it to bed if he could so to speak and so he was having a stroll around with Paul Tobias the principal at the time and Paul Tobias just mentioned to him that after Swingler got out of jail that Swingler um, had words with Paul Tobias asking you know could I do something to to help the name of the school because I've sort of brought it down with my behaviour and that I've been to jail for the offences against six boys. And Tobias sort of pressed him on it. He said, well, really, I feel guilty because there are probably another 100. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just one man, a person thing. I think we realise how bad pedophiles are. And yeah. it's not just one person that they offend with. It's so now I'm not sure whether have I got myself in trouble now by associating Swingler in the eyes of the law? Can, can I be that? No, I don't think so. I'm pretty, I don't, I'm not 100% exactly sure where it's at, but no, I, don't I think more, more, Chris, more Chris's name, I think. No. Because that's all in the been in the public domain in the past, and I can remember that from being in the papers and whatever else. So, hey. yeah, that's what that, that's what happened. We were all in the papers and everything, and I'd say two years ago, um, it came out that we couldn't be named in the media. So, a lot of us, um, yeah, it's it stopped a lot again. So, even though. Chris, myself, others, we've been in there thousands of times. You Google my name and there's thousands of stories. But by law now, um, without that court order and his permission, you know, um, using his name is, is against, it's against the law at the moment until they get this changed. Uh, with the book, in writing it, Monique, you learned a lot, as you said. What do you see? You had to get the feeling from Paul as to what he wanted to get out of it. Edwina has read the book. Where did you, or where do you think it's gone? Do you think it really gets the message out there, or did you have to really cut so much of the gory stuff out of it to make sure it's readable? What's it like to a normal reader, in other words? Um, look, I don't think that we cut anything out of it. I think that. Um, as I said, people need to know exactly what went on. Um, as you mentioned at the start, there is a trigger warning at the start. It is shocking and horrifying, but I think that it needed to be told in all the, sadly for Paul and all the other survivors and victims in all the, you know, horrid details just to show that this bastard, as you said, Ridsdale, was allowed to keep doing this when the church knew, I think it was in his first year within um, being associated with the church, they knew that he was already a pedophile and they just kept moving him around. And um, so with your question, um, I 
don't think that we edited or, you know, um, watered, I guess, you know, watered down or um, anything within the book because I think that's the, the point of it. People need to know how bad it was. Yeah. Or, and that so was, many people. That, yeah, that was definitely the point of the book. Um, Paul, part of it, the story, it's yours to tell, was at Mortlake. Yeah. Um, and you were already troubled before you were you became the presbytery boy. Yeah, well, the abuse with Ridsdale started when I was at year seven at St. Bede's in Melbourne. Um, so it was a good 18 months, two years before I was moved to the presbytery. So and being abused by Ridsdale on a sort of regular basis whilst he he was studying at um, the National Pastoral Institute, which they put him in there because they found out he was abusing children at a previous parish. So they pulled him out of a parish and put him into a training institute and thought that'll fit, he'd do that for 12 months. And then they sent him out to Mortlake. So um, their idea of moving him around and moving him in to study things didn't work and because they didn't didn't follow up things you know as well like like he should have been reported to the to the police but you know he wasn't even the, the bishops themselves just kept it all quiet and moved him around so was it not that they were, they were turning a blind eye weren't they basically Paul yeah yeah but so then you, you, know, became, that, you became the more like presbytery boy and it was because your mum found that you uh, you were uncontrollable. Yeah, I was I was playing up. I was being abused by Ridsdale. Um, I was, you know, starting to drink, things like that. But no, everyone just thought I was, you know, my parents were being divorced, separated and being divorced. And they just thought I was being a little arsehole, you know what I mean? And um, when, when the good Catholic, priest comes along and says oh you know i'll take your son or your daughter or whatever and we'll go camping and things like that and you know he, he can come and live up in the country get, get him out of the city you know most catholic parents welcome that sort of um behavior by the catholic the local priest because they had their you know the priest up on a pedestal you know so families put trust into priests, Catholic families especially. I understand that, being brought up a Catholic, but I'm well and truly collapsed and yeah. no longer so you, you, you know, You know, like my grandmother, she cleaned the presbyteries and cooked for priests and things like that over the years. And my mother was a staunch Catholic, you know, um, and it's it's a it was I don't know what it is like now, uh, but yeah, it was a very um, control controlling organisation. I think I think that's um, probably from a priest's point of view, it's an honour for you to clean and cook for me, and I'll pay you a pittance for doing it. Well, that's it. They, I don't think they even got paid, my grandparents and that. I think they just did it because they were good Catholics, you know. 
But mm. this this opens up a whole different layer of conversation to a certain extent, which I'd like to, to go into a little bit. And if we just have a little bit of a break and have a deep breath and um, you've had people calling you since the book was published where they ring you for support. So they are leaning on you to a certain extent. Um, yep. We might talk a little bit more about that when we come back. But we'll, we're, today we're talking with Monique Patterson, the author of the book about Paul Levy, the, who was a boy in the presbytery. Thanks for listening to this OCRFM podcast. Head to ocrfm.org.au to find more great content and information about how to donate and support this community radio station.